0: Again, we're in Exodus chapter 23, so let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your word and, and how it uh, speaks directly into our lives and it confronts us in ways that are really uncomfortable sometimes, but uh, we need. Uh, we need to be uh, broken before you. Uh, we need to uh, realize how much we need you. And Jesus, I pray for all the places where we're insufficient and all the places where we um, fail. God, that we would find grace and, and help today at your throne and from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Today's message is, You Can't Handle the Truth. Name that movie. What? Oh, the Bible? Okay. You Can't Handle the Truth. Few Good Men, right. I was going to play the clip, but there's like a bunch of bad words in it, so um, I decided not to burden your ears with such things. Dan is like, you can't play that because I'm like listening to it on YouTube. Anyway, you can't handle the truth. And um, the question that we're going to just ask at first is, why do we doubt what Jesus says? Why do we doubt what Jesus says? Uh, we all do. We, we doubt, we struggle with it. And today we're going to um, dive into that and we're going to see um, Jesus confront us and tell us, you shouldn't doubt what I say. Um, so we'll, we'll get through that. So we're starting uh, chapter 23, like I said, and we're, it's going to take us about three weeks to get through this chapter. These are some rules and some laws that God is giving to his nation. Again, this is the civil rules, the civil laws, where he's telling his people how he wants the nation of Israel to be governed. So obviously, we don't live in the nation of Israel. We live in America. Um, We've adopted some of these rules, not all of them, but we're going to see these line up a lot with how we think the world should work because it's been really influential in our society. So we're going to see these first three verses that we're going to look at today are commands to respect the truth and to not um, respect convenience or uh, the crowd, not to follow the crowd. So we're going to see that the truth is more important than what's easy or than what the crowd is doing, okay? So I'm going to read to you an article from the Deseret News that I found this week, Um, uh, just a little excerpt from this article. It says here, Today in some European countries, such as France and Italy and Hungary, defendants are not put under oath in trials because it is assumed that they will lie. Can you believe that? Uh, In the United States, defendants are punished if they lie on the stand, if they falsify documents or even omit pertinent information. But the charges are hard to prosecute, um, says Stephen Duke, a professor at Yale Law School who teaches a course on criminal procedure. To successfully persecute a perjury case, a prosecutor must prove the defendant willingly lied under oath about an objective fact and prove that the factual truth was different from the alleged lies under oath. Defendants can fall back on the claim that they just had a memory lapse. How many times have we heard that? I don't recall what I don't recall, or whatever. Uh, Politicians say that all the time, right? Um, He says it's very difficult to prove in court uh, so limitations on prosecuting perjury also make it a difficult subject to study because there's such little data. Uh, so experts say lying under oath is, um, is an epidemic that must be quelled, they say. It happens all the time. Let's see. It um, says perjury is commonplace in America. And this guy, Duke, says, I don't know if that was true a century ago as it is now. I imagine that a century ago, people believed that God punished perjury, but now it appears almost no one believes that. Isn't that crazy? The only thing keeping people from lying was when they thought God would punish it. And this was a a very recent article. Everyone does it. Nobody cares. It was just a little white lie. This is the way I see it. It's my truth, right? Everything's relative, not objective. Well, what the Bible says is completely opposite of that. The Bible says Jesus is truth, and we're supposed to witness to the truth. And when I say the word witness, I mean just like a witness on a witness on a a, uh, what do you call it? Witness stand. In court where they call a witness we are supposed to witness to the truth we're supposed to go tell everybody the gospel we're supposed to bear testimony of what we know to be true your life is lived on a witness stand whether you like it or not and the world they they put us up on this witness stand without you even knowing it and they're and they're they're asking you questions with their eyes and they're they're checking out your answers Are you being a truthful witness? What do we tell people about Jesus? Are we a true witness or are we liars or perjurers? I'm going to tell you a story. In the 16th century, that's in the 1500s, there was a Protestant reformer by the name of Hugh Latimer. If you study church history, you'll you'll find he was one of the greatest evangelists and reformers in the 1500s. He was amazing and he uh, had many opportunities to speak in front of large groups of people about the Word of God. And one time he had an opportunity to preach in front of King Henry VIII. You guys know him? Right? The song Henry VIII, I am, I am. Thank you. You're welcome. I know that was amazing. As Hugh Latimer was thinking about his great responsibility to preach before Henry VIII, he, he realized that God was laying on his heart a message to preach before the king. And back in that day, no one's authority was greater than the king's. The king had absolute authority in this monarchy. It, with one word from his mouth, it was off with your head, right? And he used that many times, I'm sure. And so he realized this message that God was putting in his heart was something the king would not like to hear. And so as he began his sermon, he said into his own heart and his own mind, Latimer, Latimer, do you remember that you're speaking before the high and mighty king, Henry VIII, who has power to command you to be sent to prison and who can have your head cut off if it please him? Will you not take care to say nothing to offend royal ears? Then he paused, and then he said to himself again, Latimer, Latimer, do you remember that you're speaking before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, before him at whose throne Henry VIII will stand before him to whom one day you will have to give account of yourself? Latimer, Latimer, be faithful to your master and declare all God's word. Latimer faced a choice, Hugh Latimer. Would he preach to the man who wanted to hear, or would he, preach, would he preach what man wanted to hear, or would he preach what Christ had for him to say to preach? Latimer did take his stand for the truth, and he preached boldly, and he was eventually killed and murdered by Queen Mary, Henry's daughter. Jesus is truth john 14 6 you guys know this verse it says jesus said i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me jesus is the truth jesus tells the truth he never lies he never slants the truth one way or the other to get his will done he's the whole truth and nothing but the truth as we like to say in court right And as we look at these laws that we're going to study today, we're going to see our Savior is highlighted in the principles that these laws lay out before us, okay? So let's look at them. Let's start in Exodus chapter 23, verse 1. It says, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. You shall not, or nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. So, we're going to go through those uh, four um, laws and we're going to just teach them and we'll dig into them and then we'll see how they highlight the Savior really towards the end of our sermon. So, the first part there it says, uh, don't circulate a false report. And what that means is don't spread false information. You could say gossip um, or spreading an untruth. Uh, Jesus, if we think about Jesus, he never gave false information, did he? he every, every word he spoke was true. He, he spoke love and forgiveness to everyone who needed it and wanted it. And he even warned people faithfully with truth. He didn't try to scare people with exaggerations. He said only what was true. Like in, like in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at this verse real quick. Matthew 5, and then we'll look at Matthew 18. So you might want to see these. Matthew 5 verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Hmm, how righteous do I have to be, Jesus? My righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees who do literally everything in the law. How can that be? But what Jesus is saying is absolutely true. Why doesn't Jesus say, I should simply try my best? He never said that. He said, your righteousness needs to measure so high that it's above anything you can imagine in order for you to even go to heaven. Why would he give such strict requirements? Well, you guys who understand grace know the answer. It's because he wants you to stop striving and trying to earn your way to God's grace, to earn your way to his acceptance. And instead, he wants you to stop and acknowledge your need and your brokenness before him and ask for his grace. And he gives us, grants us by his grace like a gift, all the righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. So now when we read this, we can say Jesus was just telling the truth. He wasn't exaggerating. Oh, you just need to be super, super awesome to get to heaven. He didn't say that. He says you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. And you can't be perfect without my grace, my help. He doesn't say try my best because that would be spreading an untruth. The Pharisees tried their best and they don't go to heaven. He's very clear about that throughout all of the New Testament. So, trying my best, giving my best to God, does not accomplish what God desires to see in my life. You're basically casting a, an affront before God. You're saying, I, I know, you know, the Pharisees tried super hard, but they're not me. I and my efforts. Are going to measure up to what you deserve god and that is pride and is rejected at every turn in god's economy we cannot stand on our own performance we have to say only jesus amen, amen. there you go and jesus does not spread on truth so he says you must be perfect that's the truth now he doesn't explain in that verse how to become perfect but we understand that from the fullness of the gospel. All right, let's look at Matthew 18, verse 3. And he he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus, are you saying I go to hell if I don't do this? I don't become as a little child? What does that mean? Why didn't he just say, I can learn my way to God's presence? I can mature into uh, heaven. I can just keep giving my best that I could mature my way into glory. I I just need to grow up a little more. I just need to be more. I just need to do more. Just give me a little more. Why doesn't Jesus say that? Because it's not true. That would be a false word. Heaven is not given to those who try harder. They're trying to earn it. To them, heaven is a paycheck. And God says, I will not deal with men in that way. I only deal with men on the basis of grace or law. I mean, if you want me to judge you by your works, I will. And every single one of your bad works will completely eliminate all the good works you tried. Everything you tried to do is wiped away by one measly bad work. Well, how can God have such a high standard? Have you met him? He's high and holy. He's perfect. He doesn't accept one mistake. One mistake sends you to hell. So Jesus says you must be converted as a child. What does a child do? A child lives with faith. trusting their parent. Just receiving love, believing it. That's how it works. So, that was, number one, the first principle we see and how it connects with Jesus, our loving Savior. Now, let's listen to the second one. Uh, it says, do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. This means don't lie in your witness because you want to be liked, because you want to be popular. Jesus, again, we're, look, we're looking at these laws, but then we're looking straight at Jesus. Jesus didn't care who liked him. That's awesome. Because he knew his father loved him. That's all he cared about. That's all he needed. So we're going to ask you the question, is that really all you need? Or do you need to be liked by your friends, by your family, by your spouse? Do you need to be liked? John chapter 10, verse 17. Listen to what Jesus says. People are attacking him left and right. And in John chapter 10, verse 17, he says, Therefore, my Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, I have the power to take it up. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division amongst the Jews because of these sayings, and many of them said, He has a demon. Why do you listen to him? So look, Jesus knew his father loved him, and that's what gave him so much confidence to speak the truth. And some people, it says here, hated him for it. They hated him. Jesus was hated. Jesus was lied about. Jesus experienced these things. These laws are helping us understand Jesus and what his life was all about. All right, the third thing. The third law we saw was don't follow a crowd to do evil. This this means don't do what everybody else is doing. Don't lie because of peer pressure. He says, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside uh, after many to pervert justice. All right, so we're going to go now and we're going to turn to uh, John chapter 8. And we're going to read uh, the accounts of the woman that was caught in adultery. And, and we're going to see that Jesus stands on the opposite side of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, early in the morning, John chapter 8, verse 2. Now, early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, notice they're all teaming up here. I don't know if this was one person's plan, or they all discovered this plan, or devised this plan, but... They're all coming together, all of them. It's like a mob mentality here. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? And this they said, testing him that they may have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So they continued asking him, so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus stood for truth. Or you could say he kneeled for truth in this situation. He wrote on the ground for truth. But he did not go along with the crowd, which would have been the easy thing to do. She was obviously guilty. They were right in saying she should be stoned. Okay, but all they saw was the law. All they saw was the consequences. All they saw was the measuring up, performance-based relationship with God, a performance-based religion. And they said, she failed, she's not as good as us, and so she deserves to die. And Jesus stood for truth, but he also stood for grace and mercy. When nobody wanted that for her, Jesus did. Jesus never went with the crowd. He was a victim of crowd mentality. You guys remember that, right? Who do you want us to release to you? We want Barabbas, right? The whole crowd went against him. They're all screaming against him. He was a victim of all of these things that we're seeing. But he never demonstrated them in his own life. The fourth thing that we see here is that it says don't go easy on someone simply because of their poor condition. Don't, go, don't side with a poor person just because they're poor. What this does is he's saying don't give people a false sense of security. Sometimes churches say everybody goes to heaven and that's just not true. Especially if you're nice Or if you go to our church, or especially if you've had a tough life, if anything bad has ever happened to you, you get a free pass and get to go right on up into heaven. And it's just not true. That's not what Jesus said. He never proclaimed that. John 14:6 we read it already. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me." Oh, and those people who had a rough life, they get a free pass. Doesn't say that. Acts 4:12, "There is no salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given by which men must be saved." If you guys could turn to John chapter 8, we were already there, weren't we? So just keep your stay there. Jesus was the only way and he didn't sugarcoat that he didn't lie and bear false witness he didn't perjure himself by saying there was some other way people in our culture in our society today oh you go to church that's so great it's good for you you go to church I do my thing and we're all just a big happy race of people Okay, and, and they say, but don't you dare tell me that your way is the only way. They, they, they have this thing called relativism. You guys ever heard of that? Saying truth is relative. It, what's true for you is fine for you, but what's true for me is, is true for me. It's my truth. Okay? And I believe that, that there is no truth, that you can't know anything. And you believe there is truth, so you just go believe that. Do you guys see the problem with that? Their belief that there is no truth means they're telling you how to believe. What, yours, what you believe is not true because I don't believe it. Okay, everyone's got their truth. But Jesus is truth. And we can't judge truth in anything except what Jesus says. So if he says, I'm the only way, and you have to come to me, then we can boldly stand up and proclaim, Jesus is the only way, and you can't go to heaven except through Jesus. In John chapter 8, what we're seeing in Exodus 23 and John chapter 8 is that Jesus is the heart behind all these laws. And, And when we consider him and his words in conjunction with these laws, we see that telling the truth is a big deal to Jesus. He, it's, he's called the word of God for a reason. He's not the guess of God. I'm, I guess what this might be what God says. He's not the maybe of God, the we'll find out of God, The your truth can be your truth, but this is my truth, Jesus. That's, that is not how he came. He came saying, I am the truth, I'm the way, and I'm the life. And there is no other thing that matters except me. So you can either say, okay, I believe that, or you can say Jesus was a lunatic. You can't say he's a good person and it's fine for you to just follow him. We can't do that. In John chapter 8, verse 45, it says, but because I tell the truth, Jesus says, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Okay, so that he spoke to some people who didn't believe him. His his disciples were in that crowd. The the scribes and Pharisees were in that crowd. But we're going to listen to that for us today. And we're going to let Jesus ask us that question. Why do you not believe me? Why do you not believe me? I tell you the truth and you don't believe me. Why? Why? Why are you filled with doubt? All of us doubt Jesus. That's not even a question. Let's see how he helped his friend Peter through this. Uh, Then maybe we can begin to trust him to help us through this process as well. For we are his friends too. Peter was his friend, Jesus doesn't give up on him, even though Peter was the goober of the disciples. But let's see what Jesus does with him. In John chapter, or in Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. Matthew 14, verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night um, Jesus walked, or excuse me, went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out with fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous. He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, "Lord, save me!" And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, "Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt?" Jesus liked saying that. He says it's described to the Pharisees. He says it to his friend Peter. And he says it to you. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus asked us that same question this morning. Why do you doubt? Peter didn't believe in jesus fully yet okay he's he's following him he knows jesus is cool he knows jesus can do some things i mean he can make bread he can do miracles but he doesn't understand trust yet because for peter god is still far away god is still scary and god is still someone i have to try to impress and work for And Jesus, he's breaking all those things down, and Peter's very confused about who is this God. He doesn't yet trust him. He didn't believe Exodus 23 yet, what we just read, what we just studied. Exodus 23, God declares, lying is bad and perjuring is bad. And so Jesus obviously would never lie. Jesus obviously would never perjure himself. Jesus obviously would never lead someone astray. He would always tell the truth. And so if he told Peter, come, what should Peter know is going to be happening? Peter would come to him. That's what Jesus said. But Peter doesn't believe it yet. He, he's probably read Exodus 23 a hundred times, maybe more. Growing up, that was a big part. If they didn't have video games, they read the Bible. So he knows the words, but he doesn't yet believe. They haven't connected in his heart yet. When Jesus said, come, Peter was supposed to walk on the water to him. That was the word of God. It cannot be a lie. It must be true because it came out of Jesus' mouth. Okay, Well, Peter, he walks on the water. Wow, what proof does Peter have now that Jesus is God, that Jesus' word is true. He, he walks, he's walking on the water. This is amazing. Peter is so, just has all the proof. Wouldn't you like to walk on the water? Wouldn't you like to have this? You would have no excuse for doubting Jesus ever more in your life if he let you walk on the water one time, right? You, you say that, but Peter did that And one second later, he's doubting. One second later, he says, wait. I see something. I see something. (laughs) Peter is walking on the water, then he gets distracted by what? Did you catch it in there? Wind. Wind. How many of you have read a terror book or seen a terror movie about wind? It's not the scariest thing in the world. I mean, even hurricanes, no one's scared. I, <laughs> there's a funny story, actually. <laughs> there's a guy who, who wanted to uh, tape during the last hurricane down in Florida. He wanted to put, uh, he wanted to say, you know, hurricanes are not that scary, and I'm, you know, redneck, and I can handle it, right? And so he taped him, he wanted to tape himself onto a post during the hurricane and just wait it out and just let the hurricane come and and hit him, because he wasn't afraid of the wind. And someone came up to him and said, "It's it's not the wind that we're afraid of, it's what's in the wind, the nails and the wood and the cars and the houses that you should be afraid of. Not the wind of itself. Anyway, I thought that was a funny story. Peter's eyes were drawn to the wind, that it was boisterous. First of all, do we just watch the wind? Can you see the wind? No. Not even the waves, it says. He wasn't even worried about the waves. It says the wind. It doesn't say he was scared of the lightning or the thunder. It was the wind. See, he heard and he felt the wind And it made him doubt the word that he had just heard. He's all mixed up. He's trying to see wind. He's all confused about what's going on because he just simply forgot the word that Jesus had told him. His experience was all windy. He he was shaken because of what he thought was reality but it really wasn't. The only thing that was real was what Jesus said because Jesus tells the truth. So the wind got him distracted. The wind that he heard overweighed the the word that he heard and he chose to believe the wind instead of the word. How many times do we do the same thing? Jesus, you said you'd never leave me and forsake me. But I feel windy. I feel alone. I feel sad. I feel this. My experience. Look, I just lost my job. My dog just died. How can you tell me that you're with me when all these circumstances are telling me the opposite? Guys, we have to put our trust in the Word of God alone. We have to. It's the only way to live. Peter chose to believe what the wind told him because it was boisterous. Peter, you can't walk on water. Peter, you're a loser. That's what the wind sounded like. (laughs) Whoosh, right? More than what Jesus... He chose to believe that more than what Jesus told him which was, Peter, you're my son. You're my brother. Follow me. Come to me and you'll be fine. But he neglected that. He didn't believe that. He doubted, Jesus says. The word. The wind made him afraid. The word of Jesus gave him courage and supernatural ability. The wind made him afraid. What are you experiencing in your life right now? Fear about your future? Fear about a sickness? Fear about a job? What is that? That's the wind. That's the distraction. That is not Jesus, Jesus gives you courage and confidence to step out and supernatural ability to walk on the water. What, where are we living? What are we doing? What are we listening to? You can't do that. That's not the voice of Jesus. It's just, ah, whatever. You guys get it. The wind caused Peter to sink Whereas the word of Jesus, when he believed it, caused Peter to draw near to God. See the other contrast there? Jesus reaches down to save Peter when he needed to be saved, but uh, because Jesus is always compassionate and will always save whoever cries out. That just lines up with his personality. It lines up with his heart. Of course he's going to save you, Peter, even when you're a goober and doubt him. But he's going to ask you the question, Why did you doubt me? I'll save you, Peter. I'll save you a hundred times. You want to do this a hundred more times? There's always going to be wind and there's always going to be me, and you're going to make a choice to listen to the wind or listen to me, but I'm going to ask you the question every time why didn't you listen to me? How many times have we sunk in the water? How many times have we found ourselves at the bottom again saying, Jesus, save me. I didn't mean to get here. I'm sorry. And Jesus is like, yes, I'll save you again. But I'm going to look you in the eyes and I'm going to ask you this question. Why didn't you believe me? All you had to do was keep your eyes on me. That's all I said. Keep your eyes on me. That's all I asked of you. Keep your eyes on me. Believing in my sufficiency, my word that it's true. And you chose to believe all the lies of the wind. The stupid wind. Why would you do that, Peter? Why would you do that, Ryan? Why would you do that, Dave? Why would you do that, Norm? Why would you do that, (laughs) Isaac? But through this amazing story that Peter tells us here, Peter learns this huge lesson, okay? That you must listen to what I say more than what you feel or think is true. I'm not a perjurer, Jesus says. I'm not a liar. I've already told you that's against the law. You have to listen to me more than you listened. But But it's not comfortable what you say, Jesus. You say I'm supposed to forgive my enemies, and I don't feel like forgiving my enemies, so I don't know if this is what I really want to do. You have to believe. You have to believe me. I'm not saying you go out and forgive your enemies in your own strength. I'm saying you surrender and tell me I'm right. Yes, I should forgive my enemies. So Jesus give me strength to forgive my enemies, and I'm going to step forward and say I forgive you enemies, because Jesus has asked me to. So I surrender. That's how it works. The wind can be many things. It can be circumstances, the enemy yelling, you know, practical wisdom. It's all just wind. It blows in many directions. It's never predictable. But the word of Jesus never changes. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, it speaks the exact same message. The Old Testament confirms and strengthens the New. You guys may have seen the article this week uh, that a guy, you can look it up yourself, famous preacher said Christians need to unhitch the Old Testament from what we believe about the New Testament. Saying that the Old Testament doesn't line up. And how how can a guy who's been studying the Bible for so long really not know what the Old Testament is about? Because he's just showing he has no clue what the heart of the Old Testament is. Same as the New Testament, God's love and grace. But it's hard for some people to believe it. Jesus' very name is the Word of God. It says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So his words are all the promises we're ever going to need. It's all the information you ever need for your life. What Jesus says. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You see, many of us doubt. And the reason is because we don't listen to his word. And when I say listen, I don't mean just listen and not do it. I mean listen and obey. In Hebrew, the word shama is listen, right? You know the, the shama is the prayer in Deuteronomy 6 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That prayer is called the Shema because the word hear is the word Shema in Hebrew, and it means listen. But in Hebrew, there's no different word for obey. It's the same word. Listen and obey. And what we see is that we don't listen and obey the words of Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Listen to what I say and obey. But we spend virtually no time searching the word of God and his scriptures to find out what his messages are, to find out what his promises are. And when we are confronted with some storm or some wind, our first action is try to figure it out on our own because we have no idea what God said in the first place. Every disease of the heart is preventable and curable. Fear, doubt, depression, bitterness, anger, they all bow before the power of the Son of God and His promises and His authority reaches and stretches over every single one of those things. We just don't believe it because we hardly know His promises. And all He commands us to do is to hear His words and believe them. Keep his commands. That's what keep them means, is to hear them, believe them. Believe his word. And you know what happens when we begin to sink, guys? Our fear, our doubt, and self-sufficiency is revealed to all be a sham. It's all just a sham. The only thing we have left when we're sinking is to cry out to Jesus, isn't it? That's all, we all do it. When we're done worrying and we just have nothing left, you know what we do? We call out to Jesus. And what does he do? He rescues us. So why don't we do it first? Why don't we believe his words? Because he always, after he gets us up, he looks us in the eye and he says, child, why did you doubt my words? In our worst moments of doubt and failure, when we're sinking, Jesus is still faithful. He never turns away from us in our failures. He saves, he rescues, he loves unconditionally all who call upon him. So in the end, we're, we're left with just our sins washed away and a heart that learns a little bit more to believe every word that Jesus says. Isn't that cool? He's so good to us. How many times does he wash us again and again and again, but he always goes after the heart and he says, I'll wash you every day. I'll wash you. I'll wash you. I'll wash you. But I'm going to look in your eyes. I'm going to ask you again. Trust me. Next time, trust me before you make the mistake. Trust my words. What an amazing work Jesus does for us. He always tells us the truth. And then he gives us the grace to believe it and the ability to spread his truth around. I'm going to read one last verse that came up in my devotions this week that I thought just connected. So I believe this is from the Lord. And it says in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 9 and 10. He says this, Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say, it is truth. Verse 10, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. And my servant who I have chosen, that's Jesus, that you may know me and believe me and understand that I am he. Who's the servant? Jesus. And what does he say he's teaching us? That I am he. God says, I am the servant. I am Jesus. And all he's going around the world. He says, before me, there was no God formed, nor there shall be after me. This whole truth thing is not about us. It's about him. He desperately desires the world to know who he is, who his Messiah, Jesus, is. And he says, that's why I confront you every day and say, why didn't you believe me? The world is never going to know who he is until you start believing him. You guys already know him. So why don't we believe it more? Every day, we got to repent. We got to turn back to him and say, ah, should have come to you first. Should have kept my eyes on you. Right? Peter teaches us a very simple lesson keep your eyes on Jesus. You'll be supernaturally empowered. You'll be drawn near to God. All your wildest dreams will come true. There you go. Let's sing a song. Go ahead and stand up with me, guys, so we can pray. We have communion available. Communion is the um, crackers and the, and the little uh, juice over here. Anyone who believes in Jesus can come and and can take communion. You take the cracker and you eat it and remember that Jesus was broken for you. And you take the cup and you remember that his blood was poured out for you. And that's how uh, this is something he asked us to do to remember him and remember all that he did. I think it's a really good thing for us to say, yes, I believe Jesus and what you did. And I'm moving forward to do that in faith. Uh, So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word in Exodus 23 and how it teaches me. It confronts me and tells me that I uh, I, I am not good at believing you. I doubt so much in your promises and your word. But thank you, Jesus, that you're so patient to always rescue me and wash me. Pick me up when I fall, and you give me grace. But you always ask me the question, why did you doubt? Jesus, I want to repent. I want to put my life completely before you, and I want to believe your words. I pray you would help me understand where I'm not believing your words. That I pray that you would open the eyes of my heart so I can see and know your promises in the, in the inward parts, in my soul, in my heart. Jesus, we want to be a light on a hill in this city. We want you to use us to to bring your love to all the people in, in Denver. We want them to know you, and we want to be your witnesses. And so, Lord, I pray we would believe you're the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship Jesus.